0: Nine,
1: eight. All right, I can count that high. I got that many fingers and toes. But uh, hey, all you crazy sci fi. I know, I appreciate it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we've got the one, the only, the magnificent Miss Audrey Huey. Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers?
2: Hi, friends. I am Audrey Huey. I love horror. I love speculative fiction. I love science fiction and basically all the fictions. So I am so thrilled to be here again. So lucky.
1: Well, we're glad you came back. All right. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So I found Audrey through uh, mutual friend, Jennifer Frontera. Who writes as J.R. Frontier? Good books if you like the Western thing. And she's a certified cowgirl and um quick draw champion. So that's kind of cool. I mean, who can say that in this day and age, right? I
2: know. <laughs> Not you.
1: No, I mean I-, I use long arms for a reason. I went through the army pistol course and the instructor told me I would be better off throwing my pistol at the enemy than shooting them with it. <laughs>
2: Damn,
0: JR. But I
1: can shoot like a mofo when it comes to that rifle, all right? So I got nothing to worry about.
0: So you're a distance man, is that what you're saying? You can't go the short course, just the distance? I mean, I
1: could take out Fra- Fast Freddy on the right, no problem. Fast Freddy on the left, he was done too. And, and anything closer than that, we've got bayonets. I mean, they don't issue them <laughs> when we went to Iraq, but I mean, in theory they exist. So when you went to Iraq, Audrey, did they give you a, a, a bayonet
2: Nope, I carried an M4
1: and an M9. Oh, you must have been one of the ones who could hit people with a pistol.
2: Oh yeah. Pretty pretty darn <laughs> good marksman. I love it.
1: All right. And uh dark the enough. next doc, you get to ask the infamous religion question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're we went with sci-fi questions this time?
1: We did both. Oh. Because we asked your horror last time. Oh, we so did ask your horror up.
0: last time. I'm like, why oh. didn't we ask your horror? we're messing it up okay so star trek star wars or firefly oh that's
2: tough i just love them all but i guess if i had to it'd be star trek
0: i like it uh i like the hopeful nature kind of behind star trek particularly in this day and age we got enough that sucks and brings us (laughs) down yes yes so how about Game of Thrones, Wheel of Time, or Conan the Barbarian? Conan, all the way. It's the abs. Conan.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she likes his sword.
2: It's the the amazing Barbarian. Yeah, just going through and, and uh,
0: hack and slash. <laughs> exactly. So as a lover of all things speculative fiction, but which one was your first love? Probably fantasy, yes.
2: or I don't know because it's Anne McCaffrey, and technically that's sci-fi,
0: but fantasy It is sci-fi. She had a couple of fantasy titles, but she's really a sci-fi lady. Yep,
2: exactly. So Anne McCaffrey first, I guess, and then um, lots of Piers Anthony, which is really weird and fun.
1: I love Piers Anthony.
0: Yeah, it's, he's that's... really hardcore sci- uh, fantasy, though. Yeah.
1: I, his was yeah, just weird. And yeah, was I didn't,
0: great all those, what
1: I said, Pierce was just a, a league of his own. I mean, it was just yep. unique in all kinds of brain-busting kind of ways. Yeah,
2: the puns and all the creatures and places and I, it, it's I, just amazing. This is one of those
1: ones where when you read it as a kid, you don't catch everything that's layered in there. Yep. But I went back and reread some of them, and it stood up to a second reading. Not all the books we read as kids did. Yeah, and I caught stuff the second time that I didn't catch the first.
2: Yes. Yeah, I was That's, I was too young at some point to yeah, at the first, the first time to catch all the adult innuendo in there for sure.
1: Have you ever gone back and reread some of your the books you read as a kid? Doc? I
2: just picked oh sorry.
0: Doc. What?
1: Have you ever gone back and reread some of your childhood favorites?
0: Yes, I have.
1: Did they stand well, up for you?
0: Some of them really do. Most of them did, but I went straight from like not really reading into adult youth-friendly sci-fi so i mean i went straight from i don't really like it but i guess i'll read like this um like reading the occasional black beauty and uh, um nancy drew novel into and eh, i don't really want to read but i guess i'm gonna have to to oh look it's a TV, but I have a book, <laughs> and that was Anne McCaffrey, Elizabeth Moon, Jody Lynn Nine, and Mercedes Lackey. So I went straight from like, here's he, kind of being forced to read into like, and those really do stand up. But there, there is somewhere I'm like, okay, this is not this feels bad saying it, but there are some books that I've gone back and I've read it. And I'm like, okay, it's really not the most pivotal piece of fiction ever, but emotionally I'm still attached to it. Like it is. Yeah.
1: What, what about you, Audrey? Have you ever gone back and revisited your childhood?
0: Uh, yeah. in literature.
2: Oh yeah. And I, I don't think this was book. It was clean and it was youth friendly, but it wasn't um, definitely was not, it did not stand up as an adult. And I had to search for this book because it's called The Talisman, and it's a fantasy book. But when you look up The Talisman, you get Stephen King. So I searched and searched, and I finally found this book. And I think I found it used at, like, Second and Charles or something. I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe my luck. So I sit down with this nice, you know, well-loved paperback to read The Talisman. And I open up and I start reading. I'm like, how did I get through this the first time? <laughs> this is t- – well, maybe it wasn't terrible, but I, I had just this – that first – time go that first run through of this book being you know just introducing me to all these different characters and experiences and and kind of like he mentioned you just can't get that experience back after you've already had it you can't just do it again fresh and new and especially when you know how things turn out
0: yeah and it's really hard to kind of go is it because it's not well particularly if you're reading something foundational right like Mm -hmm you're reading it and you're going oh this is so great like you know you'd say honor honor harrington is foundational to Mill sf uh for example it's not so you're like oh yeah or frankenstein because that's frankenstein (laughs) you know you can read frankenstein and now we sit there and we're like this is predictable okay yeah but it wasn't when it came out because it's foundational like that and so there's some of these it's like really that was not that big of a plot twist yeah Like, child Pesca, not that big of a plot twist. Yeah. So I loved it, though. It's still something nice. It's, you can't really, I will say I went back and watched The Nanny as an adult, and I turned around, walked into the other room, and looked at my mother and went, why did you watch this with us? (laughs) Yeah, my mom goes, you were too young to understand most of the references you're scandalized right now about.
1: Yeah, her voice is annoying. But all right, so you talked about your first love being um, in the sci-fi versus fantasy, but when did you first discover horror? Because we're going to get into that in a little bit.
2: Well, my parents had a nice little neat library that was kind of like built into where the stairs come up. It was one of those 70s split-level houses. So um, on the other side of the staircase was a built-in bookcase. And um, my parents... Like my dad was really into like science what is it called like science thrillers or something so basically michael crichton is really into michael crichton and things like that and um my mom was more into the fantasy but we also had like god's graves and scholars which introduced me to um, archaeology and mythology um but she, she was also, well, they were both into Stephen King. So my first introduction to horror was Stephen King, and I believe it was Night Shift. I couldn't get through it to save my life. I still can't. So I'm going to be blasphemous there, but I can't, just can't do it. I fall asleep. I can't get through it. I can't pay attention. So, um, sorry, <laughs> but, um, I, I really love night shift. That's something I can go back and read again and again and again. I love that collection of stories in the way that, um, a lot of those stories ended up becoming longer works. Um, so really, yeah, Stephen King <laughs> and the, the girl who loved Tom Gordon, that's one I can read over and over again. But I first read that in Afghanistan in 2005 It was like one of the three books on the shelf at our fob.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That
1: um, just goes to show everyone's experience in Iraq was a little different because we spent so much time outside the wire. Reading was the last. That was like a two-year window where I read nothing if it wasn't checking FN manuals and my PMCS manuals but no it was you
2: know i was on on the fob and it was on smoke breaks if i had day shift that i was reading absolutely
0: you will be so bored that you you want to play i actually knew somebody who is totally not the magic the gathering type stereotype and he actually played it especially because he got he was said he got snowed in, and that's when they had to play. They ended up, everybody in his battalion ended up playing it.
1: <laughs> Interesting.
0: They somehow shipped to this random fob in Kuwait, in uh, Afghanistan, a bunch. It was very weird.
1: Okay. So thinking you back...
0: Meeting entertainment.
1: So, speaking of entertainment, what is it you love about the speculative fiction umbrella that includes the fantasy, the horror, the science fiction, all the things we love? So, what is it specifically that you, Audrey, love about speculative fiction?
2: I love the idea of going beyond our current realm of possibilities, or what we understand as our poss- of our possibilities, um, or what we believe is possible or you know delving into or, or blurring the lear- the line between religion i mean i mean reality and mythology for example or lore and legends and mixing the um, the real world with sometimes even the spiritual world i think that's what i like a lot about bringing um, paranormal to horror is is we get to bring in that cultural aspect of legends and of creatures and things like that Um, And I also like when it comes to sci-fi, I like the kind of um, bringing new ideas and inventions. I think at one point there were there was a group I can't remember from where, but I was so excited when I saw the headline um, that they were basically working on a medical tricorder device so that they could (laughs) quickly. I was like, see, science fiction, science fiction, inspiring, um, you know, real technology advancements.
1: We did an episode about that when we were still the sci-fi shenanigans. I want to say it was like associated with DARPA that was doing it.
2: Probably. (laughs) That's one of my favorite. And they
1: actually, they had a few people win the patents, but and it actually got to do what they asked, if I'm remembering correctly. And I can dig that out of the archives. If yeah. I just didn't worry about the science ones because it changes so fast. But my understanding is it's as dangerous to the average lay person as WebMD is because, oh, my God, I enter my symptoms and I'm dying of cancer. Yeah. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's, it's got now, it's got limited versatility. But AI has gone a long way since 2016 when, when the article was written. So I'd be curious to see see what happens now. Absolutely. All right, Doc. Next question is yours.
0: Okay. Um, So how did that just kind of lead you into making the jump from reading into writing? Well, and I think we
2: talked a little bit about this um, the last time we spoke. But I have always told stories. Um, I wrote songs as a child. I um, told stories first to my horses while I'm out riding because your horse will always listen to you. <laughs> they don't care. They won't even talk back usually. <laughs> so, um, but I get one Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I would be telling stories to my horses, and as soon as I could start writing and 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 do that, I was writing stories. I was writing small stories or pieces of stories, and so as as long as I can remember, stories have inspired me um, to to write my own. So,
1: so for those listening and not watching on YouTube, it was the X Prize that did the tricorder, and that was uh, that they won it. Um, and that is a good answer. Although, are you sure the horses aren't judging you? Like, can you read their minds to know?
2: Well, they seem pretty happy and relaxed. They had floppy ears. So floppy ears is a good sign. That's a relaxed, happy horse.
1: <laughs> okay. So and it was as of 2012 that it won the X Prize for, wow. uh, for the thing. It's hard to believe it's been that long.
2: I know. Right. <laughs> it feels like maybe it was two years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. When, when people talk about shows that were 30 years ago, and I'm... Yeah, that's not what I'm thinking about when they show those shows. Yeah. But um yeah, so that's um an interesting an interesting way to go about. It. I think there's something common in why people love and then write. It's that ability to explore ideas without it being as confrontational as talking to somebody at a bar or on the street corner. Yeah. Cuz you have time to like formulate your thoughts. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Or Absolutely.
1: or some of us just open mouth and insert foot, but you know. <laughs>
0: It happens.
1: Well, I mean, it works for you. It does, I I make it look good. All right, doc, next question. Save me from myself.
0: Oh, there's no saving. I've been trying for three, five years now, but you know, until then- Who's counting? You have to drive. (laughs) So how did, you've talked a bit about how, what you grew up with kind of influenced your writing, but is there any formative moment when you're like, that is the moment. That just totally changed and influenced everything you do, with it.
2: Hmm. Wait, as far as writing, I would say, um, I've like I've always written. I wish I wrote more when I was active duty and while I was deployed. But I, you know, you can't go back. No shit, coulda, woulda. But <clears throat> I think for me, it was my last deployment to Afghanistan as a contractor because I just couldn't get enough. And, uh, I was, um, I would wake up in the mornings like hours and hours before my shift. And I would go to the coffee shop. I'd have my chai, smoke my cigarettes and I would write. And I really started to take this on is no matter what I always come back to writing. It's where I feel inspired. It's where I feel passionate aside from the work that I did. Um, you know, no matter what, I always have this thing, this whole other world in my mind that I can explore. And I started to take on the identity as, you know, of being a writer. So when people ask me, well, I'm a writer, but right now I'm currently doing this job in support of this thing, you know, and I'm deployed. But um, so that NaNoWriMo of actually 2012 was, you know me taking it very seriously and because you know I was um making good money and I didn't have any children to take care of or or provide for I just I had no debt and I bought a bunch of writer's digest courses and I participated in them on time and I loved submitting my writing and getting feedback from my instructors it, which are awesome with the writer's digest courses at least that's my experience but also feeling like i was getting better and getting better at st- telling stories and i would have um, times where i would let friends that i was close to read some of my work and seeing their face light up and, and understanding like what i was trying to do no matter how amateur at the time my writing was Told me maybe there's something I can do to put a smile on someone else's face, or get you know get them excited about a story and characters, and maybe light people up the way that my favorite authors lit up my imagination. So 2012, Nanarimo.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: Up extra early.
1: You, you mentioned that uh, obviously we've talked about military service, so. Um, how do you feel like your time in uniform affects the way you tell stories?
2: Um, I think it, it does a lot for me as far as um, different st- types of writing or styles of writing, uh, forms of writing can help you kind of exercise these creative muscles. And I think actually report writing is a fantastic thing to do if you can get good at it. Um, to to help you be a better creative writer. And I know that sounds so backwards, but it helps me be better at describing things. <laughs> you know, I'm not writing a salute report, but that kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> thinking of those details can really help paint a picture and create a scene. So I think that helped as well as um, the army sent me. I was, you know, very, very small town, kid there're like 2500 people in my whole you know school district and my town which used to be potato town usa until um, some place in Idaho got really mad about that <laughs> so but you know um it, it was like 150 people no stoplight so it's you know small town girl i got to go all over the world i i scored really well on my asfab so i got to choose my job i so I said, intelligence analyst sounds awesome, you know, sign me up for whatever that is, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, I'd kind of been doing a little bit of that in high school because I'm just a nerd. I was um, I was sitting down with a friend of mine and we were doing country briefings with each other. Uh, we would research a country and take different aspects and culture, language, religion, things like that. And then we'd brief each other on those aspects at lunch, because we were nerds <laughs> and I couldn't get enough
0: of it. Like, I would have loved being your friend in school.
2: That was, it was so much fun, you know, and it was inspired because we played Tomb Raider, that first Tomb Raider, we would play on the computer together and we were like, oh, how, we got to learn about these different countries and what it'd it be like to go there. Um, but yeah, so I'd kind of been training myself without knowing about it for that job. And then they, because, you know, at the time um, when I selected that, that MOS, they're like, okay, you get to choose your duty station. It was Fort Hood. Um, uh, I always heard the name of the one in Washington, Fort Lewis, right? Yeah. Fort yeah. Lewis or Europe. And so that was a no-brainer. Send me to Europe. Oh, Europe. <laughs> yeah. So I I got to spend two and a half years living in Germany. I And I got um, deployed just about a year after I got there, a little under a year, after I got to Germany, I got to go to Afghanistan, which is something I actually wanted to do. I was the person running through the barracks like, uh, you know, feral, basically, saying, oh, my God, look at these uniforms. We're going, guys. You know, I, I couldn't wait because uh, if you go alphabetically down the list of countries, Afghanistan's the first one on there. So before 9-11 even happened, I was studying Afghanistan. I said, why aren't we doing something about these awful people, right, that, that we're. In charge. <laughs> anyway, not and to agree with you at all. So <laughs> it. But uh, not anyway. to open that can of worms. But the point being, I, I had all these ideas about places I wanted to go, things I wanted to do in my life, and and things that were important to me. And I wanted to see the world. And the army gave me that opportunity. Um, and it also gave me an opportunity to to grow up fast and learn responsibility, um, accountability, and really, uh, because I went in straight after high school, Um, I knew I wasn't going to college straight away. I knew I was joining the army. I took to indoctrination like a duck to water. It was wonderful. So I was like, yes, I was, I was so hooah. And (laughs) it's just, you know, it was everything I wanted. So um, I, I think those experiences and just really going in head first and all in with passion and wondered and bright eyed and bushy tailed even on the bad days um, allowed me to imagine new worlds more easily and imagine the culture shock and imagine being in a new place that you've never been in before and trying to cope with, with how to get around that. So, so hopefully that's not too long of a rambling explanation, (laughs) but I think, I think my time in the military um, uh, was just a wonderful blessing to, my creative pursuits.
1: So first, you didn't learn your lesson when you watched Tropic Thunder. You never go full hua. <laughs> uh, having uh, said I'm that, I'm
0: going to say this one: 2000. When you when did you say you joined? You joined
2: early. I, I joined in 2003. Yeah, no, Tropic
0: Thunder wasn't a thing yet, it dude. Exactly.
1: I know, I know, but uh, you know, never again volunteer yourself. You
0: know I, we all know all you Nick do is go full hua.
1: <laughs> this is true I was a stupid th- guy that thought infantry sounded fun Because we got to blow stuff up and shoot things So I no, get that's it That's
0: like EOD was fun that but I'm no
1: colorblind, way. I can't be EOD
0: <laughs> So be I rough. got e-
1: so I got even with them When we needed EOD We just shot it ourselves and said ha, 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 You don't get to get fun Now I look back at that I'm like That could have ended badly in so many ways What mm-hmm. the hell was I thinking <laughs> But you know, when you're 22 and you think you're going to live forever
0: Oh yeah. Obviously, JR totally dodged the Darwin Award several times.
1: <laughs> several times. <laughs>
0: At the uh, bare minimum.
1: When so- we're off fair, I can tell you some of those experiences. But before we ask the fandom question, because Doc's chomping a bit, she loves those. Do you ever draw from people you knew while you were in the military?
2: Oh, absolutely. So um my characters are usually based off people that I've interacted with, people that I admire, people that Um, I just became, uh, I easily became enamored with, you know, strong um, women who took great leadership roles without it being a weird thing. You know what I mean? But who, who were great leaders. Um, And of course, you know, men, men as well, but um, it it was just, I really like to bring in the qualities and personalities of those different people who were great leaders or great teammates and um, people who performed really well under pressure. And I like to make them the heroes of my stories. So I think it's a great way to get in a different aspect of heroes and not just your
1: stereotypical. So would you say you prefer to write to everyman based on that experience in the military?
2: I think I do. I think I really do.
1: Those resonate with me too. And I think for the same reason that you yeah. just articulated. Thanks. So. <laughs> All right, Doc, you're up next. Fandom.
0: I was actually going to ask uh, well we cuz we've covered some of the fandom questions before. Okay. But I do know that there's an update on one of these. So is that every man part of what draws you into horror? Uh
2: yeah, I would say so. You know, it's it's definitely something uh it's easier to put myself in those situations too, or, or people that I know and see in these situations. I think I just have an overactive imagination when it comes to horror. I love writing short horror. Um, I've got tons of it. It's kind of scary, but I will just imagine, okay, what if the guy, the meter guy going around and taking everybody's electric meters is actually like this. And what he's actually doing is this. And you know what I mean? I'm a former analyst who's stuck in the burbs. <laughs> you know what I mean? My imagination is going crazy. But oh. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it is amazing. Um, I think and not just for myself, but from the other authors that I work with, what what they imagine the hero in a horror story doing. And it's not, and it is the the everyman typically.
1: Uh, Doc, I got a question before you ask yours. So you mentioned that you like horror short stories. Is that because most of us, our first exposure to horror for most people was like the, you can't say that in the dark, the campfire stories, the ghost stories with the iconic, are you afraid, solo- of, the are you afraid of the dark? This iconic black cover with the the red trim, even I know it's red and like the black and white ghost picture for all the horror stories we read as kids. That were totally not scary if you read them now, but at the time they were like <laughs> horrific.
0: Oh my gosh! Oh wait, Animorphs—that's one that that did not hold up. Sorry.
1: Oh man! Uh,
2: yeah. Actually, no,
1: I was a goosebumps kid. thing. I, I was, goosebumps too.
2: Yeah, Is The Night the Living Dummy—I think stands up. I think it holds up. That
1: was—that
2: still terrifies me. I'm—I'm I'm terrified of dolls and clowns. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. I mean, Chucky, I'll give you that. But is that what you think drew you to the short version of horror? Because, I mean, obviously, horror can be long form, too.
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, so you especially when you're a kid and you're into that or um, when you're going through a heavy reading phase, you get that quick burst of adrenaline and that story rising to its climax and then the resolution. And it's just it's just such a kick. And I want to write something where people can get that 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 nice jolt of fear and adrenaline and resolution um without spending, you know, days or weeks reading it.
1: All right, doc, back to you.
0: Well, she actually gave us a great transition into talking about anthology.
1: So before because we do that, we're going to do
0: why you're here tonight, right? Because you do work with other authors. A lot of authors, it, writing can be a very solitary craft. And um because I I joke with some of my author friends, it's because I need the quiet so that they can hear the voices coming from inside their head. But you do work with other authors. And so what got you into doing these anthologies?
1: So doc, I I hate to interrupt. You're going to have to remember that question because we got one for you, Audrey. So if people want to know more about what you have read, can you give us the Reader's Digest version before the commercial? And then we're going to spend the next half of the show talking nothing about this, but this anthology. So that's a good transition.
2: Okay. So what I've written so far, um, I've created a lot of planners. I write vigilante thrillers and um, I write short horror, which I'm putting into a collection to um, release 13 stories at a time. Of course, uh, you got to have 13 in there, but um, I also- Oh, I get
1: that. It oh, took a second. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> it's a math thing. It's a number.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. But do you know people actually use your planners oh yeah yeah awesome yeah
2: yeah i um and then i i sold really well at vegas both um uh 2021 and 2022 um and then 2022 lulu was there too and because that's who i print through for my my planners they we're like, let's do a signing. And people actually wanted me to sign their planners. And I was like, oh my God, that is so cool. That's awesome. I always mm-hmm. lose
0: my planners. That might be oh, funny.
1: But yeah,
2: that's I've actually thing people coming into effect. Oh my God, I actually had people all these, <clears throat> like, every year that I've gone to Vegas, I have people come up and tell me like, um, that my planners help them finish books, or you know, finish their book, or finish multiple books. Oh, so you, you have
0: like done a very and- specific style of planner you do.
2: Oh yeah, I I couldn't find a writing planner in 2017. So. I created one that isn't about just writing, but also putting in the marketing and, um, you know, whether it's social media, newsletters, blog ideas, because everybody has a different style and really taking um, charge of the business aspect of being a writer.
1: So we're going to have to link to that in the show notes. We're going to have to link uh, to it because
0: this is is like planner buying season.
1: Yeah. (laughs) All right. In on. On that happy note, before we dive into her planners and uh, her anthology, which she's using the planner to plan, uh, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. 35 awesome stories started by one kick-ass meme. It started as a joke. Storm Area 51, they said. They can't stop all of us, they said. But all laughter has stopped when the U.S. Air Force mobilized and pulled out the big guns. However... Relentless mockery and derision by the media and the powers that be pushed the dweeves and alien enthusiasts too far. What else were they supposed to do? They said why not and showed up, determined to find out what secrets were hidden behind the walls of the clandestine government facility. Are you brave enough to buy this anthology today? If you are, find out what the government wants to keep hidden. Read Storming Area 51, a Bayonet Books Anthology. All right, uh, Doc wrote a really good one for that that anthology. Um, but but now speaking,
0: we did. Speaking of anth- it, is being brave because it is super thick.
1: Yeah, we could kill somebody with that with that anthology. Thirty six stories. Uh, I, I learned a lesson there. The anthology editing for that one was rough. I bet. But but Red Adept is amazing, so they got through it really quickly. Uh, So if you need an editor, people, Red Adept editing is amazing. But speaking of editing and anthologies and such, Doc, you had an excellent question for her.
0: God, it's above, J.R. I just had a full day of work, and now you're going to ask me to remember things? No, but it is actually (laughs) great. What got you into doing anthologies? Because it is... I helped Jay we we wrote a story together, but I also helped him with other aspects of it. It's a lot of work.
2: It is, it is. So I have a this nice, tiny, very close-knit private group called the Author Transformation Alliance. Um, It just happened because people kept asking me the same question in my writing groups. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to make some videos. I'm going to make a website so I don't have to keep saying the same thing over and over again. So I did that. um, And then we were like, okay, let's start doing some anthologies. And so our first anthology was a heartwarming one. It was multi-genre. So it wasn't very specific. But the point, the whole purpose of it was to um, showcase both experienced and emerging authors and give them a chance to be published in a non-pressure um, way and, and with other experienced authors um, to kind of cross-pollinate the audiences as well as give them a shot to say, look, my story is in this beautiful book. And that's called The Heart of the Season. And I'm really proud of how it turned out. So it's definitely more, um, it's got a little bit of everything, but it ends up being almost more literary fiction then, then uh, there's some romance, but again, more slice of life. And then the second one was called March for Justice, and that was more thriller-esque. So that was a thriller anthology, just a few of us. Um, we have more romance authors in our group. But then this latest one, I I was scrolling through one of the cover websites. It's kind of like a marketplace for all the cover designers. And I just saw this cover and I was like, I have to do a cryptid anthology. And if nobody else wants to do the horror anthology with me, because it's it's a Wendigo. <laughs> I was like, I will just use this cover for my own projects. And it's fine. It's fine. I just I'm a cover hoarder. So <laughs> it's OK. I, I feel I admit, attacked. I am <laughs> OK with it. It makes me happy. So. Anyway, uh, but I put it up and there was a lot of interest. And so we ended up with um, 21 total total stories in that uh, by 17 authors. And it is beautiful, but it was so much more work than the previous two anthologies because it wasn't just my tight-knit group anymore. I wanted to ensure that it's I like thick books, so (laughs) I wanted to make sure my horror anthology was nice and thick, and so I opened it up to the public and kind of friends of friends to kind of, and I said, only talk to people about this who you know can follow through, write a good story, et cetera, and so, but we got some great stories, and I'm really proud of how it turned out, Um, just short of 140,000 words. And it is, um, it's, again, a lot of work, but so rewarding. And I'm so glad we did it. I I can't wait to do it again. (laughs) Of course, lessons learned this time about ways to make it easier in the future. But it's something that I'm always going to do. I really love that we get to debut, like this is the debut publishing event for a couple of our authors. And that feels pretty huge to be part of their story, part of their authorship story
0: no no i think it's really touching we have not had that kind of experience necessarily on the podcast but we've had people where we're their first interview about their book Mm -hmm. and and there's something so heartwarming and tender about them and i'm like oh you're my baby now yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so that is amazing so you really like your first anthology concept of going into this cryptid and horror angle was really inspired by I bought this artwork. I should probably use it. Yeah, yeah, it shouldn't go in the hoard with the rest of them.
1: <laughs> you've got to be you've got to be careful with that because sometimes yeah. if you don't use it, the rights revert back to the artist. Yeah,
2: you mentioned I've that lost a last few that
1: way. I, I Oops.
2: All of my all of my, <laughs> all of my artists are like, "Nope, you're good." <laughs> so I was like,
0: "Oh, thank God!" Yeah, I know that would be really really disappointing. Yeah, yeah. i bought it
1: just because the lady on the cover reminded me of xena like if you're of a certain age you know what i'm talking about and then i was like i don't really write that kind of stories but maybe someday and then i checked man the rights went back to the artist oh well
0: (laughs) so you know that's really awesome but now you're getting ready to do another anthology is it a cryptid a horror a bit of both like what's going on
2: yeah, so the first one was um I mean the first of this this big horror anthology was the mm-hmm. was Darkest of Dreams a cryptid horror anthology. And there were so many cryptids that we didn't get in. I'm originally from Michigan and so we didn't get the Michigan dogman. Um someone wanted to do the Ruru. There I mean there's so many cryptids we didn't get this time and we still have this nice chunky book. I was like, I wanna do a volume two and we're only exploring cryptids that haven't already been um, touched on in the first volume. So I want to do this multiple volume set. And there's, um, we had a lot of wonderful backers who asked, well, do you guys have one of these yet? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, submissions are closed but I can't wait to tell you when submissions are open for volume two. Because I'd love to have like the Yowie or something. And there's actually cryptids right in my local area in West Virginia. There's the snallygaster. There is some kind of dog creature, basically like a black dog from uh, South Mountain. Um, There's the zittle or um, the sorcerer zittle from South Mountain. And I think they were just a poor family that this rich woman wanted to pick on. Um, so she spread rumors about them. But either way, it's become local lore and legend. And there's the Flatwoods monsters, there's all these crazy cool cryptids in West Virginia, and I've barely scratched the surface. So uh, if it's that's all we've done, you know, just in West Virginia and Michigan, like there's so much more, not just in the US, not just in North America, but all over the world that can be explored. Um, and we can introduce more horror lovers too, especially for those who love cryptids. And I found out there's a very, very strong audience for this. I mean, it was our first um, campaign for this. I hadn't done any other horror campaigns with my Kickstarter account. And uh, we got 300 and I think 352 believers, you know, 352 backers and we raised over $14,000. And that was with, Uh, very minor audiences and just making sure we had about a hundred people ready for notification upon launch, but it really grew because we had a great cover and we had a very clear concept, paranormal style, cryptid horror. And it was all focused on cryptids. And and that community is so strong and so much fun.
0: I love that you're taking it. And do you actually have like a list of, I have done this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Uh, That is awesome because It really will give people a chance to highlight so much. You're going to get such diversity and backgrounds and types of characters because that's so exciting.
2: It is. is. That's what I love about it, and and, in giving people a chance to highlight their local area and lore and cultures, um, and you know all these different aspects of, of these dark parts of our cultures and histories and and civilizations.
0: So I'm going to ask something for the audience, just to make sure that we're all working on the same page. What is a cryptid?
2: So a cryptid is a creature that is believed to never have existed and sometimes in some definitions to um, not exist anymore. So like a Tasmanian tiger. Might count as a cryptid, but we're going for more of that paranormal aspect. So that is creatures from lore like um, uh, the Wendigo, Sasquatch, um, Jersey Sasquatch Devil. is real. Yeah, see, for some people, that is very real. And I'm not going to say one way or another. He thinks a really good friends of who women who are attracted to
0: um, you know.
2: Yeah. yeah, we had three really cool Sas- Sasquatch stories in the volume one, and I allowed three of them because they all touched on different aspects of Sasquatch lore. So uh, I thought it was really important to highlight those different aspects of, of, of what people believe about sasquatch and they were all geographically in different areas so that helped too
0: (laughs) i mean i love the chupacabra yeah yeah uh and and it's very funny because i i i'm very aware of what a chupacabra was i managed to convince a student at ksu that chupacabras were real
1: (laughs) i wrote about one of those in one of my stories
0: oh literally i i mean i remember joking with them and i'm like we were on a, a school trip, and I was like, "Don't let the chupacabra get you." And he goes, "Wait, what? What's that? Is it like a snake?" And I went, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> nice. He never went home and looked. At, he never looked it up. He spent two weeks talking about and, and warning everybody that the chupacabra might bite them. Oh my gosh, <laughs> terrible.
1: So, no, so was terrible as
0: we were in Antigua.
1: Okay, Doc and her Misfit Youth. So normally we would show the cover art <clears throat> and talk about you know, what, what the story of the cover art is. So I'm just gonna throw up some free art I found of a cryptid uh, on Google uh, open source and, uh, and ask you, since you haven't commissioned your, the art yet, dream big, what do you want in a perfect world?
2: In a perfect world, I would take my favorite story of those submitted between February 1st and May 31st. And, um, or or the strongest story, favorite story or the strongest story. I don't want to play favorites, but I got it because I'm the editor. Um, And I would ask for that to be done. And I'm kind of hoping it's something like the Michigan Dogman or, um, I don't know, it's so tough to pick. And I don't know You know, I had, I had something where, you know, I had the situations where a lot of people said they were going to submit something, but then they didn't follow through. So right now I have a lot of people who've committed to submitting stories. They're really excited about it because they've heard that this submission page is going to open, but I don't want to hedge my bets on one or the other. But I know, um, I know there's somebody who wanted to submit for the, um, first one, uh, she and her husband wanted to submit. So they already wrote the stories. They just couldn't get them edited in time before the end, um, before the deadline. So they already have stories ready to go. They got a Rougarou and a Michigan Dog Man. So I know it could be one of those two things. <laughs> Dreaming yeah. big, it's going to be just as terrifying and well done as the first one, because our Wendigo, people love that cover. I mean, like I said, I, I saw it, I knew it had to be mine in all its terrifying glory, and I want a cover that is just as gorgeous and terrifying.
1: Gorgeous and terrifying sounds like my first date.
0: (laughs) You've talked about it. JR, it sounds like your love life period.
1: I mean, (laughs) I wasn't gonna go that far in public, but I mean it's my
0: love life. My love life is no better.
1: All right, so back on track.
0: But what Um, I really like that you talked about is the fact that there's like uh there the editor has a really hard job because you have mm-hmm. to read through all of these and figure out there has to be a balance to the story and I think we we have a lot of readers who listen but a lot of readers turn into to new authors eventually mm-hmm. and there's kind of an evolution in there uh, but I what I like is you talked about the fact that you're not gonna say oh. No, we already had a Sasquatch in book one. We can't do that. It has to be something very different Mm -hmm. because sometimes and Mel Todd, who's an author, we were talking about it, that she submitted to an anthology one time and she thought it was great. The editor actually was putting up notes. She's like, look, I had five of these kind of stories. So I had to pick one that was my mommy got old type because it was about aging and transition in life. So, but that it's interesting. So you really, it's just cause it didn't get accepted this time. Also doesn't mean that it's not a good cryptid story and it doesn't mean that it's not going to fit something else better.
2: Exactly. Absolutely. I think the most important thing is that, um, people focus on either lore that's close to them that, that they have had experience with, whether they believe they've had a run in with a cryptid, um, uh you know i'm one one of my favorite things to watch is nukes nukes top five (laughs) i love nukes um nukes norway but uh you know there's a lot of people who really believe that and i'm not saying that you're not but sometimes we have experiences that we can't exactly explain we can't just explain away and i think um a lot of people have had experiences with with what they believe are cryptids. There's been a lot in this area. I have another research project that's kind of about cryptids and the paranormal, but set here in West Virginia. So I've been collecting um, anecdotes for that research, for that project. And there are people right in my town, my nice tidy little town who believe that they have seen bizarre creatures walk across the road in the middle of the night, um, you know, and, you know with their kids with a like a teenage witnesses um you know right down the road from me like seriously like a mile down this road it's really interesting um what people experience and i think if you focus on your area your lore or your experiences and the things that have happened to you um, whether that's just a, a seed of a story, being out camping and not knowing what's, you know, knocking on the trees or throwing rocks, or if you really have seen something, if you start with the experiences close to you, you can spin a terrifying tale because you have had that moment of breathless anticipation. You have had that moment of, um, wondering if this is the end, you know, so you can uh, take your own experiences of being terrified and weave that into an incredible story with something unique from either your past or from your local area. I hope I'm not being too repetitive.
1: No, not at all. But you mentioned local area. So let me ask you this. Do you think that horror is also cultural? I do.
2: Absolutely. A lot of times horror, whether it's a slasher movie, that's a straightforward serial killer, or it's um, something supernatural. A lot of times the underpinnings are cultural values. So the, um, for example, if you've watched the town that dreaded sundown or the, um, the, lore show that explored the town that dreaded sundown that was all about punishing people who were having premarital sex so that is a cultural values issue um it was only targeting basically horny teenagers it wasn't targeting people who were good and pious and doing what they're supposed to do so a lot of times culture absolutely affects what happens in a horror story and that's okay it can be a good indicator of the culture that you're coming from and represent that culture um, and, and its value. So uh, that's where my nerd comes in. and I'm thinking sociocultural anthropology, you know, <laughs> those kind of things.
0: <laughs> um, there but, yeah. is, but there's also like some very unifying theories, like people being afraid of, um, of dolls, I I was listening to, on the radio today, they had one of the actresses from uh, the movie Megan come in and was Mm -hmm. talking. And she said she actually had worked on Sesame Street. And she said the number one thing, the first piece of advice they give you when you work on Sesame Street is because they have all the um, puppets lined up. Going before you go into this room, just so that the people who are working them can grab them and go, right? She goes, You are warned not to look to the sides and not to see because you don't want to.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, so there are certain things like that, the doll thing, it's very universal. And I, so it's interesting to see because some of it, that to me indicates that some of this is also instinctual. Absolutely.
2: I, w- I was just thinking of that. It reminds me of if you've I, I really love um, researching and um, myths and legends from all over the world. And what uh, is has been a particular interest of me is people from the Mojave Desert and that area um, and Native Americans and indigenous people. And there are legends about um, little people from the north And it's interesting because they were, they were terrifying warriors. Um, So that kind of relates me to maybe, maybe there were other, um, uh, other tribes of people who were so much, you know, different physiologically that, yeah, we're scared of dolls because they were terrifying warriors or something, you know, but, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, but, you know, really something instinctual about something small, that's skittish, maybe the glassy eyes are something that um catches the light in a way that almost makes them look alive sometimes again i don't know why but dolls like um baby dolls i cannot stand them i don't know why they just freak me out i don't get people who collect dolls that are supposed to be haunted <laughs> unless it's just to get youtube views i don't
0: get it <laughs> nope 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 i um I, like i'm going to show you one of my my favorite from when I was a kid, it doesn't look human. Yeah, I prefer them that. Yeah. Even as a kid, I preferred them. that Yep, way. exactly. Look. I didn't want them to look human. It,
2: not, not whatsoever. No, <laughs> well, yeah, no. But, but yeah, it's interesting. So, all the the um the cultural and when you look into lore and mythology and the stories of different peoples, what you find in their oral history. That can um, inspire your imagination to think about what people went through, you know, in in other times.
1: So... We've talked about the horror a little bit as far as like the cultural aspect and what what a cryptid is. Well, it can be a little bit broader. And, and we do have the interview where you and Jennifer Frontera, Jr. Frontera came on. It was like 192, 193. I will link that in the show notes, people, where they talk about volume one. So you can get a feel for it if you're interested, um, either as a reader or as a um, writer. But what do you think makes a good horror story? Put your editor hat back on for just a second. To you, what is it that makes good horror?
2: Yeah. So it's definitely not just gore upon gore, um, pacing, tension and building fear, I think, are what really makes a good horror story, horror story for me. So if I feel like I am in this story and it's the the clicking of the chain as you're climbing that big hill on the roller coaster, chink, chink, chink. You know what I mean? If it feels like that, and I know I'm getting to this huge part where it's going to be terrifying and then it delivers on that terror, um, sufficiently, then that is a winning story for me. Every time I want to fill that tension build, and you can have a slower paced story as long as that you get that weird feeling, you know, not the, I'm not saying eerie, but, um, you know, where you're in a different world, a different place. I kind of have an interdimensional story. I have two stories in the first anthology, and one um, plays with dimensions and uh, or or planes of reality. And um, that kind of took on the pace of the Haunted Mesa by Louis Lamour, which I felt like was more horror story than Western. and um, but, Uh, Another story from my example that I did that I uh, got really amazing feedback on, like very, very happy feedback from readers was uh, more the pace of the collector, which I absolutely love. I want that fast pace where you're constantly on the edge of your seat so you can have it both ways. Your pace doesn't have to be the same. I like to have a mix of pace and style and voice in an anthology so that you're getting a buffet of stories rather than just one type the whole way. You're getting cryptid, you're getting paranormal, but you're going to get to experience uh, a vast spectrum of different author styles and voices. But you have to have good, a good solid pace, great tension that builds to a satisfying climax. If you spend about two sentences describing your monster, then you're not actually building to the whole purpose of the stories for this anthology
0: i think what you said was great also about why anthologies are so wonderful yeah it's because you do get a variety of stories i have definitely found amazing authors from my short story content um jr loves short story mm-hmm. for that but he's also a minute man <laughs> <laughs> jr are you there I think JR is gone.
1: I, I muted myself. So when I was um crying in pain at your insult, to your it was luckily it was off air, but ouch doc. Really.
0: <laughs> well, you know I love you. Somebody has to.
1: <laughs> uh, anyway, back to horror. Wait a minute. I see what you did there now. <laughs> All right, back to horror. Back to horror.
0: This is definitely an army humor episode.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So We talked about, um, you know, what is a horror? I think we've got that. I will link to episode 193. I just looked it up. Uh, Darkest of Dreams, the cryptid anthology. It's the title of the episode. So when people like, let's talk about the Kickstarter for a little bit. We've got a little bit of time left before we got to go and Doc's going to fall asleep and turn into a pumpkin soon. So what kind of prizes? Leave me alone. You're fine. So what kind of things are you doing with the Kickstarter? Uh, obviously, we're recording this before it's live, but I, generally there's like the base and then the the dream things. And so so what are you thinking about?
2: Yeah, so the base is going to be the ebook, the paperback, and the hardcover. Um, we're also going to have um, extra goodies, stretch goals such as audio commentary. Uh, I think this last one came out to about four hours of audio commentary from all the authors and of course me as the publisher. And it was so, I mean, it was a lot of audio commentary, um, it, as well as we have uh cryptid party crashers guide to Halloween. So we'll do a volume two or uh, issue two of that because we didn't issue one for this past Kickstarter. So there'll be an entirely new um, edition of that. And that's going to be Basically, you're cryptid and the suggested drink, meal, and Halloween game, you know, terrifying Halloween game pairings for each creature. And uh, so that's, that's a lot of fun. It's all Halloween themed. So you can take that, use it for your party. Of course, you shouldn't. Some games will have disclaimers like, don't really play this game, please. <laughs> like uh, hide and seek on a mountainside kind of thing in the dark. <laughs> um, yeah. But but that's a lot of fun. We'll also have a stretch goal for hiring the artist. So the base goal base goal is always one thousand dollars. That ensures that um, we can pay our theres something. Uh, of course, we do expect to go over that. Again, this we we don't we want to do better than we did this past time, which was fourteen thousand. And um, but the more we can raise, the more we can pay an artist. And I want to do another artist. And again, not just highlight different authors, uh, new and emerging and experienced, but I also want to highlight different artists as I continue to publish these anthologies. And so um, we had Wilk Lentz, um, he's called Wilk on Instagram. And it's somebody that J.R. Frontera recommended because she's used his art before. But I want to um, get another artists. I'm looking at some Appalachian artists right now that I want to highlight because I really like their style for cryptids and horror. So what we do is that artist is hired once we hit that $5,000 $5, stretch goal, that artist is hired to create custom art and illustrations with color for each cryptid.
0: Oh, wow. Um,
2: yeah. So it's a lot of
1: work.
0: This is a really high quality book that Absolutely. these Kickstarter fans will be getting. Absolutely, that's amazing. And, and so that I
1: read write...
0: in an era where eBooks are so plentiful, and I'm not complaining. Yeah. Uh, when I buy a book, I really want that nice production value. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. So like... that's why I went full A plus? Like I I. I spent so much time fretting over and perfecting even the ebook because I wanted to make sure that the experience was so far above just, here you go, here's an ebook in some words. No, I want you to feel like, so we have the deer antlers, we have this kind of um, distressed font and we have these um, you know images that go with each of the stories, even in the ebook because of how it's delivered. And I wanted even the ebook experience to be, um, to be so far above par for our backers and to really say, um, I, I want you to love this so much you come back. I want you to feel this with the added imagery. I want you to feel this while you're in this book reading this, you know.
1: Okay, so I did read some of the reviews when this came out. The last one for volume one, and I will say that people felt like the the final hardcover product felt like a coffee table book they could put out on display, and that's always a. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was right because you know sometimes reviews don't the always match. Hardcover not right out
2: product. yet, so I don't know what you're looking at.
1: I'm blaming I'm blaming them then because I, I see that happen mix up all the time on the reviews.
2: Yeah, I mean I, the, I the infamous,
1: This isn't the Jimmy sausage, I ordered. The what? Uh, there's the the infamous one on somebody's book that this wasn't the Jimmy Dean sausage they ordered so yeah. I mean Amazon well, mixes it up
2: there, there's we're not on Amazon yet
1: I'm blaming doc we're gonna move on <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah so, I, I could have
1: swore yeah. we saw that there there was that was one of the reviews yeah. but
2: no no, we oh, don't, no we we have, have, if you see any reviews they'll be on our Kickstarter page because the only people have access to this right now are our backers. Um, and people who've purchased uh, pre-ordered through Backer Kit. And we just got the art finalized from the artist. So we haven't come out with the hardcover yet or the paperback because we needed the art. So Well,
1: then in order to fix this, we will link to that in the show notes and people can tell you how awesome it is
0: because you've used Matter. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I got the perfect thing. I want a banner to put up right now. It's so accurate.
1: What is it, Doc? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Jr. ruins everything, really. All right. Next on YouTube. Um, there you
0: go, Jr.
1: So you know we we wanted to keep this tight on the time. I know you're a busy JR woman. Is so special. And you've got like a hundred kids. Yeah. So. So many. Kids. Totally. They, you got them. Fed them after dark or something. They started multiplying. Oh, um yeah. That's why I
2: feel I like.
1: I was about to say that too, Uh, Great Minds. So was there anything about the anthology and about horror in general that we didn't ask?
2: Um, No, I think we really covered it. I think it really does come down to, you know, uh, leaning in to, for each author leaning into their own experiences to create great horror, um, and to leaning into what they're interested in. But for readers, I'd say if you love horror, Find these anthologies, not just ours, but find those anthologies out there that can introduce you to new authors that you're just going to love, you know, that the ones who are going to crawl inside your mind and give you terrible dreams for weeks. So
1: the best kind. So speaking of terrible dreams for weeks, I'm guessing this is then for adults only as far as an age range.
2: I would say so. I mean, there's nothing really in it that I wouldn't have read as like a 10 or 12 year old. Um, but of course I was reading, I was reading pretty, I was reading my parents' library when I was that age. So um uh I I would just say there's not a lot of gore. It's not like Saul or something, it's more uh tension and uh there's tension, there's some physical stuff that happens, but it's not it's again, it's not gore. Um I would say just for the purposes of being correct. 18 and up, <laughs> but I would have read it as a kid.
1: So, so what she's saying is, you know, your kid and use your best judgment.
2: Exactly. Use your best judgment. You know, your kids. definitely.
1: All right. So before we let you go, dear listener, we talked about reviews and I apparently mixed up the review of one book for another. Oops, my bad. But those reviews do matter. See, cause it gave us something to talk about. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. But when you do write those reviews, please put them on the right books and we will move on.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Doc, Audrey, how can listeners find you? And we will link to all of your social medias on the, on the show notes.
2: Awesome. Stop laughing, doc. <laughs> Audrey is writing on everything. Uh, even on PlayStation. So. <laughs> Which is hilarious. If so you- I'm on the PlayStation, I'm not actually writing. That's the joke.
1: So, so what do you play on PlayStation?
2: Uh, a lot of Red Dead. I recently got into Elder Scrolls Online because I missed Skyrim, and I think I'm just going to go back to Skyrim. Um, and I started playing um, Man from Man from, it's a horror game. I can't remember the name. man from man to, man to, I don't know. I'll have to send it to you, but it's it's a great horror game, and it it changes based. It's one of those games that the cutscenes and the endings change based on your answers and the decisions that you make through it. Um, and it's part of an actual anthology of horror games. So, I, anthology. So, uh,
1: Skyrim was my crack. Um, I had to go through a self help twelve step group to to detox from that, and so yeah. I had to stay away. Or, or I, I will lose like, months at a time. Yep. Like, what? What, what are you talking, talking
0: about? about? I've been playing tons of Pokemon. Oh, gosh, yeah.
1: Is it at least the one where you go outside and walk around? Because that at least counts as exercise.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> All right. So uh, speaking of how you can find how you can find people. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups, backslash a blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups, backslash a blasters and blades podcast. We do have that Facebook page. We keep mentioning, but, but go like it so we can give it a dedicated URL, people. Uh, And then we have our website, anchor.fm backslash blasters, and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com Backslash author J.R. Hanley Be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast And I promise I will keep my co-host Doc Seska and Nick Garber Duly caffeinated uh, They will drink until Whatever part of their body processes Caffeine explodes See, I did not pay attention in biology, obviously
0: No you didn't, but it was a soft Squishy science, you should have done better in it
1: I remember Falling asleep uh, and getting in trouble For it, but somehow I got An A <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those weird things. Small college.
0: Uh, Yeah. Sure.
1: Maybe they just felt sorry for me because I was a history major.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm sure they felt sorry for you. But thank you for coming and joining and listening to our podcast. Like, share, comment if you want to hear more from this. And always answer those questions we ask during the show because that way we know you are (laughs) listening. Um, for audrey here who is amazing and the absentee nick garter garber and the definitely proven he's still brain jr i'm seska this was the blasters and blades podcast we'll be back next week same time same place and doing our nerdy thing and of course making jr eat pizza with pineapple on it that is
1: horrible